Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello, this is Sam McCall for The Higher Branch Podcast, and today we have a very exciting guest and one that I am personally really looking forward to talking with and of course I'm talking about Mr. Tom Panos. Hello Tom, how are you? Hey Sam, how are you going? Fantastic mate. Look, uh, I'm really, really uh, uh, grateful for you to um, come in today and talk to us. I know you're a very busy person, uh, you know, you're uh, not only an auctioneer but you're also a sought after speaker. You have your own podcast, you have your own uh, real estate gym and yeah. you have uh, over 22,000 followers I, yeah. I believe and you know extremely busy person so thank you for coming in today and uh, sharing what uh, I think is going to be an amazing hour or two of some incredible wisdom and guys you need to stay tuned for this and uh, listen to Tom and I'm not saying this to piss in your pocket whilst you're here because I've been trying to pin you down for the last 15 years yeah. uh, to get you to talk to our broader community because I know you are very well known in real estate and now becoming well known in uh, uh, financial services as well. Uh, so uh, thank you for coming in. Are you ready to kick it off? Sam, I'm pumped. I'm not going to sell anything. I'm not going to you know, try and pump myself. I'm just going to try and give good content you know, good information to make people's lives and businesses better. You're a bit of a millionaire maker when it comes to real estate agents. You've coached some of the uh, the most successful agents yeah. uh, over the last uh, couple of decades. How did you become uh, a coach uh, for real estate agents? Sam, I was working for Rupert Murdoch and our business was to sell advertising you know back then it was print media today it's more online and what I was doing is how do you get people's real estate attention how do you get the attention of people so all I started doing is in 2004 producing a blog it was a written blog and then that evolved from a written blog to an audio podcast and then it moved into um, a video and all I would do is interview once a week a successful real estate agent that was getting dramatic results. That's all I would do. And what happened is the amount of subscribers that would opt in sort of exponentially went crazy. So today it's 30,000 people that have opted in, which is very high when you consider the real estate industry now in Australia has got around 55,000 people. And all I did is get content of successful people and then I would, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even create it. I, I was more a content curator. I would interview someone and say, "Hey, look at what John McGrath's doing, or look at what Bill Maloof is doing, or look at what you know Matt Steinway is doing, or Michael Paller is doing." And then what actually happened is I got positioned as the guy you go to to find out how to become a million dollar agent. Before you know it. I was getting people asking to do one-on-one sessions and then it sort of ended up being, hey, I can't do that much because I still had a job looking um, looking after real estate for News Corporation. So then it became speaking at conferences and all I would do is run through the content of what million-dollar agents were doing and um, that was from 2004. So it's 2019 now and we're sitting in your studio, nice studios here. It's 2004. 19 May 2000. So it's actually a 15 year process of um, content, and in many ways, it's ripping off and duplicating 
other people's content. Yep. But you do curate it in a really beautiful way. And I want everyone that's listening to really pay very close attention because Tom's been generous enough to come in and share some, I think, are going to be incredible uh, insights into not just business success but life success Uh, because I know know a lot about your personal story as well and your ability to juggle so many things because you're an auctioneer, highly sought after auctioneer, highly sought after speaker. Uh, you, you do your regular podcast. You also have what's called a real estate gem. Yeah. Uh, and some of the uh, people that I've come across absolutely rave about it because it's real, yeah. it's raw, there's no bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and that's refreshing. People are just flocking to your message. Yeah. And why do you think that's so? Now, I, I know a lot of people who hear your, you know, uh, I think the, you call it the Sunday rant. Yeah. Um, uh, have one particular persona of, of yourself, but you also have a very, um, uh, very quiet. You're a very reserved uh, person, you know, uh, uh, outside of the business world, and you're very committed to a um, a, a holistic, well balanced life as well. So, uh, and we're going to get into those questions. I'm going to get into some of the personal questions because I really want people to know the essence yeah. of who you are. Uh, because this podcast isn't just about what you can download for people to uh, uh, to better their business uh, and better themselves, uh, but also to get to know you. So I hope that's okay with your permission. Yeah, absolutely, and I think Sam, you've nailed it when you you know want to touch on um, business and personal life because you know seven thousand hours of coaching, I've learned one thing: nearly all business problems are caused by non-business issues. That has to be, to me, the biggest revelation. So you'd sit down with a client and you'd sit with them and you'd say, what's the biggest thing on your plate? And they'd sort of sit there and, oh, I suppose at the moment my marketing, yeah, and then I'd just be quiet and they'd sort of, you know, oh, oh, my staff. And I'd say, listen, out of everything in your life right now, what's the biggest thing on your plate? And I'd shut up again. And a lot of the time, Sam, they would say, I'm not sure. And then I would follow it up with, if you were sure, what do you think the number one right this minute on your plate? And then it would come out. Mate, I haven't spoken to my wife for six weeks or... I got into a bad habit, Tom. I'm sort of drinking four or five times a week or I'm off track. So what would happen yep. is people show up with this business issue, but in reality, when you peel the onion, Sam, yep. you actually yep. find that something has got in the way. I mean, if you've been doing a job for 15 years, you've learnt the process, you've learnt the formula. It's not like you wake up one day and it has all been unlearnt or forgotten Something has happened, whether it is um, a relationship issue. Sometimes that issue is actually hard to pinpoint because there is sometimes mental health issues where you can't turn around and say, oh, that's the cause of it because there are some mental health issues, anxiety, depression, that sort of creep in and you can't say that's the cause of it, you know. know, A lot of the other times it's very obvious what it is. It's... uh, it's a, a breakdown of a relationship with a, a family member. It could be a health issue. Sometimes it's straightforward as cancer, you know. 
we've had cancer in our family or the person themselves has had cancer, like I've had cancer a few times, you know. So I think um, I'm going to be pumped to talk to you because I can tell that you're a very thoughtful person in the way that you've crafted, crafted some of the things that we, you know, you want to you want to touch on, and and that is that most people don't need a better marketing strategy; they need a better life strategy, which is actually going to help their marketing. Absolutely, strategy. yeah, hundred percent, yeah, because there's a symbiotic relationship between all parts of our life, yeah. and uh, I find if one part of your life is broken, it yeah. impacts the other parts. So it could be health, and health is quite broad, isn't it? Because it's not just physical; it's mental, it's emotional. And uh, can be spiritual for some people uh, as well. Correct. Yeah. So, ha- ha- I mean, seriously, anyone that's listening to this, if, for instance, I don't know, let's assume you're selling financial services or you're selling some sort of business or product in the marketplace, how do you honestly think you're going to be able to do that 10 out of 10 if you've got an appointment at 10 o'clock in the morning with a client and then at 11.30 you've got an appointment with a lawyer who's talking about custody battles with your child. Or let's assume that, you know, you've got um, a radiation appointment at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The bottom line is it's really hard to have a positive business life with a negative personal life. Yes, but if I can get a little bit personal, you've managed to really nail that part of it. You've You've got a. You live a very good, complete, holistic life. That, at least that's that's what I it think. Can, so it you, can be better. I never think it's. I never think it's. I never think Sam. It's it's good. You know. I think. I think. Um, I think to myself. That it could be better. I think it could be better. Um, but then again, you should never fall into the trap, where you think that it could be much, much better because when you say to yourself it could be much, much better, you're also reaffirming to yourself, hey, it's not good. Yes. And that's not a good yeah. thing to do because I think a lot of successful people suffer from a thing called the gap. And the gap is they've got this total discontent on where they are now versus they, where they can be. So I think... Yeah, the good, anxiety gap, they call it. Yep. Yeah, the, yeah, that's a good way of you know yeah. describing it. And this anxiety, this discontent means that you can spend the time that you have on the planet striving, striving, striving and never arriving. Yes. And there's plenty of people yep. that could quite easily just flip that game over and say, hang on a second, let's remember where I've come from and what's good in my life. Married, healthy children, I'm in good health, money's pretty good, living where I want to live overall. This four out of five ticks here. Now, there's another tick that can be improved, you know? So I think that's a far better way of, you know, viewing. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. So you, you really can't materialise your future unless you're in love with the present. Uh, you've got yeah. to be happy with where you are now. Yeah. And it's just, it's not just something that, you know, I've said or you've said, this is just a way of the world, isn't it? Yeah. There's just like an invisible rule or invisible law of the universe or, you know, oh God, if you're a religious person... But just uh, just tell me then, what are uh, then what are the two biggest mistakes that you see people who have made it? Uh, what are the mistakes that they make? Um, One mistake that they make is um, complacency, and there's you know there's a great line I use, and that is nothing breeds failure like success. Love it. Yep. So, Sam, if you think about it, when you're most successful is the time that you become vulnerable, complacent, arrogant, because stuff's coming in 
Yes. Yeah. And maybe the stuff that you did to get that stuff coming in is now paying off. But you actually get seduced into the success and you think to yourself, hey, it's just me now. And you fall for that trap and you stop doing the things that once made you very successful. So complacency. 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 So nothing breeds failure like success. When you're successful is the time you've got to be very, very careful. And the reason I say it, Sam, is that you might end up going to work a little bit later, leaving a little bit earlier, longer lunches, you know, attention to detail drops, creativity drops. You underestimate the competitor or the risk of a competitor. And all I'll say is I've learned in my own business life that when things are going good, don't assume that they're going to stay good. Always assume that there's someone who's younger, sharper, smarter, hungrier, who's watching from the distance saying, that guy's getting cocky here and there's profits there. And what I can go do is go off and deliver what that person's doing in a better, more efficient and in a better, more efficient way at a better price than what he's doing and look after the customer. So, you know, one of the things, Sam, is I try to remind myself, no matter how good things are going, to to go to bed at night knowing that you're not number one on the ladder, you know, yep. that you're actually yep. one of many competitors in the marketplace and that you could uh, uh, disappear very quickly. Very quickly, yeah, absolutely. And just as technology is making things uh, change very quickly, we can become redundant very quickly as humans, not just from automation or robotics, but because there is, like you said, a new breed of uh, you know, of practitioners, advisors, uh, real estate agents, lawyers that uh, eat like athletes, they yeah. train religiously and they meditate like monks. Yeah. And uh, I love those four telltale signs you mentioned of complacency because anyone can re- redline for a few years, make yeah. a lot of money yeah. and then slip into complacency and then they're their life goes into a tailspin. Yeah. It's harder to manage success and failure, like you said, because money gets to their head. That Suddenly they're, they're having relationship breakdowns. They're spending less time with their kids. Yeah. More, like you said, then they drop off their, their hunger at work. And that's yeah. something that you talk about a lot, um, you know, staying hungry yeah. but humble. Yeah. Uh, so how do, you, um, how do you stay humble when you've made it? Because it's human nature – you, your ego kicks in, right? Yeah. It's human nature to, to become very proud, uh, to become complacent as well. So how do you – what are the tips that you can give people yeah. when, they see the, when they see those telltale signs that you just yeah. listed, how do they reverse that and stay in that place where they're humble yeah. and hungry, not complacent? How do you stay okay. – how do you get it? What do you tell your clients – uh, the, you must be coaching some super performers who slip into that. What do you tell them in that moment? Okay, so the verdict's out, in my view anyway, on being able to teach someone to be humble. I think, mm. I think that there's, you know, there's a group of people, Sam, that are dickheads, and I think what actually happens is 
they can go through coaching and seminars and, you know, reading the books and saying the right stuff, but their intention has not changed. They're addicted at 18 and um, they're addicted at 38 and there's a potential that even at 78, as they come towards the end of their life, they're, they're still a person that was a taker, that's not a giver. Um, so the verdict's out on someone, you know, on, on, on being humble. Though having said that, I actually think I've changed along the way. Events can happen in your life that change. Yes. So... What was one event for you? Can- cancer has been cancer has been the main the main event. You know, I've had cancer a, a number of times, and one of the you know there's a you know for me cancer. I wish it hadn't happened, but there's no way in the world I would have got the lesson without it happening. And that is, some of the best gifts in life come badly wrapped, Sam. And one of the gifts for me that came out of cancer in my early thirties was you learnt suffering so what suffering does is it teaches you compassion and what compassion does is it helps you understand that there are people that would pay millions of dollars or would swap spots with you to have your your problem right so you 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 learn that there is suffering out there in the world and what that does is it teaches you hey listen don't get too carried away. Be grateful for what you've got and you start looking at all the things that you've got. So that's been one of the gifts. Uh, um, so Has that made you a better coach? 100% because what it does is it teaches you, mm-hmm. instead of me discounting someone and calling them dead wood because they're not out there, you know, hustling, and we're going to talk about that, use that, that term hustling, and they're yep. not out there, you know, grinding and they're not out pushing. <clears throat> Previously, I would say... They're a bludger. Now I say to myself, they're doing the best they can based on the circumstances, their EQ, their IQ, what's in their life, they're doing the best they can. How do you help this person do better instead of sitting there and saying, loser? So I think it certainly has helped me. Helped you uh, gain more empathy. Correct. So that's made you... uh, And... In a very powerful way as well, uh, whoever you're coaching is having the benefit of that perspective yeah. that you have because people kind of pay it forward subconsciously, don't they? So if they employ staff, then they're going to start coaching them in the same manner that you're coaching them. One, yeah. 100%. So, so your reach in this market, sorry if I could digress a little bit, has been pretty phenomenal, uh, Tom. You know, there's a uh, people underestimate sometimes the power of one and you have coached uh, – and influence so many real estate agents in the market that I just can't help but feel that in some way over the last decade in Australia, especially in the Sydney market, you've really shaped the the real estate market in a in a big way. Yeah, well, I think, Sam, I think now what has actually happened is I don't operate in the same space as, say, traditional trainers and coaches where they're out there, they've got their small tribe of people. A lot of the language yeah. that is used universally in real estate is language that has been, you know, developed by me. So what you'll hear constantly at most events, this and that, is words, sentences, phrases, methodologies that I, 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 I Tom Panos ones, to the point where I've just accepted I actually have 
and we were, you know, before I came here, one of the issues I have is a lot of the people that work in training and coaching go off and buy Google AdWords. They buy my name because my name uh, in the real estate circles is um, first brand recognition. So what happens is people go and buy buy the name. So what actually happens is they Google Tom Panos and other people come up, and you learn you learn to live with it, which just reinforces to me that one of the things that everyone should always be focused on is there is nothing more powerful than their personal and their personal brand. But to, an- to answer your question more specifically, Sam, it means a lot to me to influence a lot of real estate agents and not just financially. Like I'm not, look, I'm not, I'm not a billionaire and I'm not mega wealthy, but based on my age, I have more than enough money to live based on average statistics, right, on what I'm going to diet. Money, I will run out of time before I run out of money. So where I'm at with myself, Sam, is how do you impact a large group of people in the remaining time that you've got on the planet? And I haven't had a great track record with, with health, but hopefully I do the you know, 85, 90 years of age thing. That would be good. You, well, know. you received some great news today. I have. Do you want to you tell know, us a yeah, little bit about I have. It? I had, um, I had a, a, uh, a PET scan, which is called a positive emission topography. It's, it's the most detailed cancer scan that they have. So with, with scans, with various testing, you know, I'll do a CAT scan. Um, there's MRI scans, right? There's PET scans, which, you know, only a decade ago, there was only a few hospitals that actually had these machines. So I've got a PET, I've got a PET scan and... Um, I'll look at this text message again because yeah. it makes me so happy when I look at it. Have you been um, reading it? Yeah, pet, PET scan, normal Tom. So I've got a close enough relationship with my doctor that he you know, sends me a text message half an hour after the event. So, you know, I'm, and I'm, I've got to tell you, Sam, I mean, I don't know when this podcast is going to, to be out there live, but, you know, recently we had a federal election, right? And, you know, a lot of people you know, wait for the results in the morning to wake up on that, you know, like, I've got to tell, man, federal election means very little compared to the result, you know, I get. And I actually, I actually think anyone that's listening to this, don't worry about Bill Shorten or Scott Morrison or anyone. No one's going to save you. You've got to save yourself, right, you know. But I have total, I'm just, you know, totally happy today and totally grateful and, um, to be able to know that I'm uh, cancer clear and that there's not a single cell in my body that um, is uh, contaminated. You know, most people that get something, uh, a terminal illness like that or the threat of a terminal illness, just pack it all in and stop doing what they're doing and they go into hibernation. But you've just been, your energy and the way you give on stage and in your coaching has been non-stop. Now, what what has driven you? What Because uh, I know... Uh, you don't do it for money, yeah. right? You've done well over the years, over the decades. So what what drives you to do that? Why, why do you... Uh, you so, so I've worked through... So I've had three... In my life, three times I've gone into um, heavy-duty treatment. Heavy-duty treatment is chemotherapy. Radiation yeah. I cope pretty well with. Chemotherapy is where they get poison to kill poison and, um, you know, symptoms can include just being a, a hangover for six, nine months or vomiting. So how do I cope? I work through it unless there are days that 
the nausea means that it's just unbearable. And the reason I do it, Sam, is it's not money. I mean, put money, put my financial situation aside. I can just take a letter from a doctor, go to the insurance company, the salary continuance people, and say, here, just put the money in my bank account. I'll see you in seven months. I don't do it. And the reason I don't do it is I'm a terrible – I've got two speeds, full on or do nothing. I'm not a do nothing. Do nothing, I don't cope well. Yeah. I seem to catastrophize. I seem to, to, to find problems in my life. I seem to go online onto Dr. Google. When I bring normality and I'm actually doing work I like, that I'm serving someone and helping them – it sort of just takes a little bit of the edginess away and makes me focus in how can I help this person? And it takes away the inward assessment of how my life is going. Because when you're going through an illness like cancer or any kind of serious illness, it's really easy to fall into the trap, Sam, to say, I'm unlucky. Why did this happen to me? How's this going to pan out? These are the sorts of things you ask yourself when you have a lot of time up your sleeve. However, when you're working and you do stuff you like, you're good at, that is of value to people, you seem to go into this flow and even though life at the moment may be challenging, you keep reminding yourself this, my current situation is not my final destination. Participate in the solution, Tom. Don't participate in the problem. And that helps me a lot. The self-talk you give yourself through a dark period matters, Sam. And it it's really important that if, you know, anyone that's listening to your great podcast here understands that we have seasons in life. We have good seasons and we have bad seasons. Nights become mornings, winters become springs, and springs become summers, and nothing's permanent. So when things aren't good, don't get too attached to them because they're not going to stay bad, right? You so you've got to keep showing up. You've got to keep showing up. You do uh, – I've, I've heard you say that um, whilst you respect motivation as a Kickstarter, you don't really believe – in motivation as sustaining great performance, you believe in systems and showing up and habits. Uh, uh, is that is that is that what you live by, and is that what got you through the habit of showing up and just going through rain, hell, or shine? I'm going to show up and I'm going to be pressing, uh, you know, yeah. doing what I do best. Is that and is that a lesson for business as well? It's 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 a lesson for business, and I want and I want people to to understand that no matter how motivated you are, no matter how inspired you are, there are Mondays that you wake up that you wish weren't Mondays. Yep. And what you want to do is not have your life and business strategy being motivation or willpower. What you want to do is have <coughs> process because process trumps motivation. Process trumps goals systems trump goals. So what actually happens is even though you might not feel inspired and you're 10 out of 10 self, what happens is that because there's this process, the Big Macs are still made in the restaurant. Mm. 
because there's this process. Nice analogy, yep. Right? I, only, yep. I, I, th- I thought about a process-driven business yes. and I thought to yep. myself, McDonald's is a process-driven business where you can take a 13-year-old demotivated person that might actually um, not be engaged in their work but the hamburgers still happen. Yep. So for me, Sam, it's been it's been – so to me, process is everything, and um, I have to tell you that even in my darkest days of heavy duty treatment, chemo immunotherapy, there are there are things that happen regardless of how I feel. Certainly, I might not be speaking at a conference. Certainly, I might not be jumping on an aeroplane on those days. But I'll still do, like there's some non, non-negotiable habits I do regardless and, you know, one of those is that um, I'll do nine calls before 9am pretty much every day of my life. Nine calls before 9am. Nine calls before 9am. Three new business calls, three current client calls and three culture calls. Calls to my family, friends or business to reinforce or build the culture. Three current client calls are normally to high-yielding clients that need a bit of high-touch, not just high-tech, which is my business, very much an internet-based business. And then three new business calls. I accept that I lose clients and that I must keep the pipeline. And pipeline means that I keep talking to people that aren't currently in my business that might be my business one day. I love that. That's a really powerful system that you can apply in any business, you know, whether you're a lawyer or a plastic surgeon or... So Yoga that, teacher, whatever. Yeah, you know. yeah, that's that's really powerful. Uh, are there any other morning rituals that you have that uh, yeah. you think are, are powerful? Yeah, so... What I does your morning look like when you wake up? Morning morning is... It's, it's been obviously affected with treatment, Um uh, in recent times. But I know you've been an early riser for yeah. many decades, yeah? So pretty much the standard morning ritual is a 5am wake-up. At that 5am, for around 10 to 15 minutes, what I'll do, Sam, is I don't meditate, but I should because I've seen the benefits of meditation and I've done it at three particular times in my life. So currently I don't meditate, but what I do is ask myself between 5 o'clock and 5.15 as I'm getting myself up and going, I ask myself, what's good in my life at the moment, right? What's good in my life at the moment? So I try and move my attention by asking a quality question towards something that's going to make me feel a little bit lucky or grateful. The next thing I'll do is 30 to 45, maybe an hour, minutes of exercise. There's something chemically enhancing about endorphins. That'll take you to around 6.37. Then I'll sit down and I'll just write out three most important tasks. For the day. For the day. Because I think what happens sometimes is, Sam, a lot of people, they'll write out a diary and to-do list of 47 things, So all I say to myself is every morning, if I only had one day 
to get my 30-day goal, yep. what would those three things be I'd do? And it helps me say these are most, I call it MITs, most important tasks. And then probably the last thing I do, which we talked off, off, uh, off air before, is I've got a dashboard to my business. And that's very metric-oriented. So there's, um, and I'll bring it up here, there's nine, nine charts that really matter, right? So this dashboard is giving me KPIs, one, two, three, four there, there's two there, there's another two there. So there's about, say, ten, ten quick yep. glances mm-hmm. that are giving me KPIs, because what you measure, you manage, you know? And yep, you showed me your yep. ring goes to your um, mobile phone that measures, you know, activity, sleep, your business, um, your, this, this big business you run, you would know the importance of, you know, data and numbers. Absolutely, yeah. So Otherwise you're running blind. Correct. But a lot of people, uh, you know, check out data for their business, but they really don't look at life data. Life data, you know, is like how many dates have I gone on with my <laughs> You know, why for the last month? Um, how many runs have I gone? How am I sleeping? You know, what am I eating? Uh, uh, data allows you to manage, like you said. So all that, that piece, all that piece of data that you just mentioned there. So if we go through it, dates, sleeping, exercise, food, meditation. I, yep, meditation. I can pretty much tell you that the more you do of those the better it is and the better that your days become. And there's no such thing as an unimportant day. That I think one of the things I want people to get out of this conversation is that shit happens in life, but you can actually control how attractive your life is by scheduling these things in there. So how do you how do you get into scheduling them? By getting awareness. How do you get awareness? By measuring. By measuring something, it gives you awareness. And with better awareness, you'll make better decisions. Right. And with right. better yep. decisions, you'll take, you know, a lot better, you know, actions, right? So this is what you mean by systems. Yeah, this is this is powerful stuff because if you're having a, if you wake up tired in the wrong headspace yeah. and you just show up and do this stuff. Uh, that's how you get through the tough, uh, tough days. Uh, Correct, and uh, that's—I mean—and I think that's super powerful. So those metrics uh, that uh, you just uh, looked up on your phone for your business—are they generic? Is that something that you share on your real estate gym? Or? No. So this is my this is my, my my online business, right? So this is my business, which is different to other people's business. Yeah. So, but the principles are the same. Yeah. Yep. So the, I'm looking at, at at stuff that that matter. So. Things I'm looking at is, so let's, you know, I'm happy to share these, is um, how many sessions a gym member spent um, online in the last month. I'm looking at um, response time from our server. I'm looking at um, activity, you know. Yep. Uh, how long yep. were they were log- logged in for? I'm looking at, you know, total number of members that we've got, how many we won, how many we lost. I'm looking at my churn rate. I'm looking at how many members are up for renewal. So these things these things are boring, but let me just tell you, Sam, that boring sometimes can be good. Like think about it. You you win the Olympic Games and you what do you you win the Olympic Games, what are you doing? You're swimming laps looking at a black line over and over yeah. again, right? Yep. 
So there are certain things, and I hope you know it comes out of this conversation, that people do need to put in processes and systems because willpower is not the greatest strategy in the world. If willpower was the answer, I don't think we'd have people that would be overweight, unhappy, high divorce rates, high financial stress. If everyone was, you know, if willpower was the answer, everyone would be ripped, living in a $20 million house, and life would be fantastic, (laughs) right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, even more so in this market. So if we look at the real estate market and the market in general, retail in Australia at the moment, um, it's tough. It's uncertain. And a lot of uh, real estate agents, especially new real estate agents, uh, in the last decade who have never gone through a recession, uh, essentially became order takers. Hang the sign up, take the order. uh, That's what John Simon would call them, order takers. In good times, it's easy. Then you go through bad times and these guys, you know, they're shell-shocked. Right, <laughs> they're thinking, "Geez, what, what do I do now?" Yeah. So a lot of them are sli- uh, uh, relying on willpower and motivation. Yeah. But what you're saying, your message is, in tough times, you really need to rely on daily systems. Yeah, and uh, uh, which which is a very powerful tool. But there is an, uh, I think there is more powerful tools that a lot of real estate agents need at the moment not just real estate agents bankers mortgage brokers you know your tribe of real estate agents my tribe is lawyers and mortgage brokers but a lot of the mortgage brokers are now starting to follow what you say but um what tips can you give them for handling rejection and failure at the moment which is because it's highly competitive the rejection's coming (laughs) thick and fast at the moment as i said we're we're in a uh, uncertain tough market yeah and a lot of uh, people can't handle uh, rejection and they can't handle the fact that they, they're failing. They're seeing 20 clients and signing up one. Yeah. Whereas, you know, three years ago or two years ago, they'd see 10 clients and sign up eight. Okay. So what I'd say is, number one, is don't personalise it. In fact, it's one of my golden rules in life. Mm-hmm. I try not personalise anything, Sam. I wouldn't even personalise... I wouldn't even personalise, in my auction business, if I had my best friend or a family relative that went off and used an auctioneer, I wouldn't personalise it. So don't per- don't take anything personal. Because when you take things personal, you're the person that goes to bed at night, you know, um, swallowing the poison, right? They've moved on. They're not thinking about you, right? They, because a lot of uh, the negative self-talk kicks in. For some reason, we have a, you know, um, humans are wired... Um, when we experience a rejection of failure, we tend to make it worse because we start negative self-talk. Maybe I'm ugly, I don't talk Correct. properly or don't look good or don't smell good, didn't go to the right school, my parents messed me up. So the, 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 the psychology is that when someone rejects you, you start cutting even deeper. You get the metaphorical knife out and say, well, maybe I'm no good. Maybe I should just quit on being... Uh, an agent or a mortgage broker. Maybe I should try something else. And uh, so, so Sam, that's very. Uh, how do you how do you uh, push past a negative self talk? I love what you said about not taking it personal. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that's a that's a great start. Yep. Okay. So the way to do it is to change a default belief on rejection. And I'll give you an example. 
what you should do is accept that rejection is not the opposite of success, it is part of success. And the person that gets rejected the most when they're growing their business will win. And the reason why is this. Let me use an example. Let's, let's pick a, a young guy that's going out and he asks someone out at a bar. Yeah, good analogy. Let's yep. use that because yeah. rejection. Let's yeah, talk about yep. let's talk about a, you know one of the biggest rejections because you know when they reject the product, at least you can turn around and say, "Hey, the product's not right." But you yeah. know, you're the product at a bar, right? <laughs> so let's let's look at that, right? So 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 a person goes to a bar and gets rejected. Let me tell you that there are two responses. The person that accepts that rejection is part of the game that they're playing in will turn around and take a belief that this person said no and rejected me because their circumstances are he or she may be in a relationship. He or she... Okay, that's what you mean by not taking it personally. Not so taking, it's not me, it's, it's you. It's there, it's you. It's you're, you're, you, you don't fit in yeah. to what I wanted to do because of your situation, whereas another person can go in have that conversation and then disappear off the face of the earth for the next two months saying, I knew I was ugly, I know I've got nothing for me and that was confirmed by that event that happened. So the way that you choose to interpret a situation and that's why let's move away from the bar and the date and let's talk about in business. You've got to accept that rejection and failure is not the opposite of success. It is part of success because if you're out there, you're going to get rejected. And I'd go as far as saying that if you're not getting rejected, there must be a problem with your business model that is not putting you in enough potential opportunities to get rejected. So you actually have another problem. On the way here, Sam, on the way here, a call that I had was a client said to me, Tom, I'm gutted and devastated. The middle of last week, I missed out on a house that was worth $3 million that I was going to get and um, it's really hit me for a six. And I said, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. He goes, I tried to get on to you. You were away and um, you are in New Zealand, which I was, and you sent me a message saying talk next week, today's next week, and I just needed, you know, um, a bit of a, a pep talk. And I just said to him, when did that happen? He said, it happened on Tuesday. I said, so we're talking about a week later. I said, can I ask you a question? He goes, what's that? I said, why are you worried about the one listing that you missed out on? And why aren't you worried about the 10 you never got called out to be doing? So he was living in the past, wasting his energy on a rejection rather than moving on to the next one. Correct. And yeah. the other thing is, Sam, he, there's all this other business that's happening that he's not even being called into and he's focused on the wrong yeah. on the wrong thing. So uh, I think it's as easy, you know, to, to a, a shorter, simple answer is you've got to change your belief in the way that you interpret rejection. And if you can't, if you believe that everyone's got to be happy every time, Man, if that's your value, if that matters to you that much, you better reduce your income expectations 
and reduce control of your destiny yeah. and go yep. work at an ice cream shop, Wendy's, <laughs> right? Get paid 43 I grand a year, yeah. give people ice cream, they'll be happy, you'll be happy because they're happy, but there's a price to pay and that is when you go home at night and you're sitting there on your lounge watching reality TV saying, look at their great life, chances are that person that's got a nice car, got a nice house, that's got a nice adventurous life is going through rejection. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, Tom. That's <laughs> And that's why I love your wisdom because it's not textbook, it's so real. Um, and, I mean, this is, this is positive psychology territory, right? Yeah. What you've just uh, talked to us about is called reframing in uh, yes. positive psychology. And you're absolutely right. If you want if you want to compete in that field, then you've got to be prepared to take the knocks. Otherwise, get off to that field. You yeah. know, go sell ice cream, like you said. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want. But, Correct. Uh, you don't want to be the person. You know, I had a, I had a friend. Let's go back to that bar analogy. You know, uh, we'd go out. You know, when uh, we were single, and we'd go out to bars, and he would rejection after rejection. But he had the the most dates he went out yeah. with the most girls for every one date he would um, you know a new person he would meet that he would go out with he'd have 10 12 yeah. rejections and yeah but um uh, it's it's better to be that guy the guy or, or that girl than the guy or girl who would go home and say oh, i should have went up and said hello and introduced myself i should have done this should have done that and it's a, it's a life of regret Correct. Yeah. And I, and I, look, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know this your friend that you're talking about, but you know, I would perceive as this person of having, you know, a little bit of confidence, and that confidence would certainly come through in their interactions, and whoever he's speaking to would actually, you know, pick that. Some people would say, "Hey, you're not for me." Maybe they're not for him because you know they're attached or they just don't like him or what have you. But there'd be a group of people that would say, "Hey." you know what, that guy sitting at the bar on his own staring at me looks like a creep. This guy coming up here, <laughs> right, <laughs> he, he's, he's confident, he's yeah. picking himself, and if you pick yourself, people pick you. Yeah, that's right. So clients like self-confidence. Absolutely. Um, they don't like desperate needy, you know. Yeah. So how do you overcome – well, that's not the right question, how do you overcome rejection. How do you um, – put yourself in a position where you don't get rejected, if that makes sense. What are the tips that you can give uh, any business person out there? Anyone, we're all in sales, yeah. okay? We're all selling something. Yeah. Um, it's not just real estate or mortgages. Uh, what is the best tip that you can give someone so they do score every time, score the okay. new client? You know, okay. Or the, the, the new sale? I would say... The number one thing is play a game you were always going to win. Helps a lot. What I mean by yeah, that. what do you mean? Yeah. Okay. If I had a dartboard in this room and let's assume, Sam, on your Mac screen there, let's assume that there was a dartboard there and there's a bullseye and the bullseye is a little dot. If I sat here, which is about five metres away, and I tried to get that dart to hit the bullseye, it would be unlikely I would get it. But if I actually walked up and I was three centimetres yep. away from the bullseye, it would be like I'd get it because I'm right there. Yep. What I mean by playing a game you're always going to win, play within a rules that mean that it's hard to fail. So how do you do that? 
Firstly, make sure that whatever you're doing is solving a problem that's keeping someone up at night. Be the Panadol. Just keep thinking to yourself, this person's got a headache. When someone's got a severe headache, they'll go off to a pharmacy and they'll rush in, pick up the the, the Panadols or the painkillers. They're not going to look at the price. They're not going to sit there and try and bargain with you. They just want to solve their problem. And what I'm saying is, if you want to get away from playing the price game on, you know, are you the cheapest, you know, have you got, you know, this best thing here or this other person said that they'll do it at this fee or what have you, what I'm saying is stop being a product and start being a Panadol. Get down to the nitty-gritty of what keeps this person up at night and then make sure that what you do is deliver that. It's the ultimate um, yeah, salute. Uh, you, you're basically solving a problem Correct. They can't solve themselves. Correct. And I'm glad you touched on the price because price becomes irrelevant then. Yeah. Uh, if you are solving a problem for me, uh, that's that's very powerful. So you, and, and Sam, a lot of people, you know what the best people do? The best I've met in business, not only do they solve the problem, Sam, they'll sometimes create a problem, articulate it to the client and say, did you know this? Which then shifts the client because sometimes clients, what they're doing is they think they know everything and what they do is say, I'm calling three people out and I'm going to pick the cheapest. Then you come along and you say, hey, let me tell you, here's the situation. And by the way, many of my clients tell me when they go down this path, these are some of the pitfalls and challenges they see and what you do is you target another part of their brain and then all of a sudden the client goes into protection mode and says wow I don't want to be in that situation and then what you do is say this is how we solve that problem that is what helps you getting out of this game against competitors do something that the others aren't doing and that uh, reminds me of something John Simon used to say, and he, he was asked once in an interview uh, what, what his uh, biggest tip in business is, and he said, listen to your customer, listen to your client. So <clears throat> on that, you're listening to the, what you just said, you're listening to the uh, customer, but then you are giving them some consequences maybe that they did not think of yeah. and then solving the problem for them. But just on that point of listening versus talking, I know a lot of people um, uh, who are advisors um, and in sales, and that includes some of my lawyers here. Um, how do you strike a good balance between listening to the customer and talking? Because if you listen too much and not talk, they're going to say, well, this yeah. person is not telling me anything, right? How much do they really know? But then you have the extreme where you have people that just talk, talk, talk and don't listen to the customer and a customer walks out thinking, well, that person didn't really wasn't interested in what I had to say. How do you get that balance? And I think I'm asking you this question because in real estate, I think this, this question is critical, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, again, you probably won't get this at a textbook or an MBA course. I actually think that what it should really be is Listen first, right? Listen to the customer first. Yep. But it doesn't stop there. That's really only 
you know, half the sentence. Listen to the customer first and then deliver what solves that problem plus more. And what I mean by that is, Sam, a lot of the times if clients don't know what they don't know, Right. That's right. Yep. They don't yep. know. So yeah. what you want to do is you want to sit there and you and, and I agree with you. You probably you said you've got lawyers, I see real estate agents, I see mortgage brokers, I see them sitting there like quiet, passive, you know, they've gone to the training course, don't say much, they've got to do all the talking. Hey, listen here. You've got to challenge the person. You've got to then say to the person, hey, this is how I'm going to make your life better. And people have to sit there and listen to you as if you are the Google of that marketplace, that you know it inside out. And you can't do that by just sitting there and listening the whole time. So my my the only change that I'd make to John Simon's quote is listen to the customer. All I would say is listen to the customer first and a really good question to ask super question to ask Sam is to ask a customer this. Can I ask you, if you got the perfect solution and you were over the moon on how all this went, can you describe to me in a sentence what that would look like for you? Oh, yeah, love it. That's powerful. This is really good advice, Tom. That's the bit to listen to. Then... You can take over yeah. because you've actually got you've actually done what a doctor does with me. They diagnose before yeah. they prescribe. Yes. But they don't sit there for the whole consultation just sitting there listening and listening. At some point their intellectual knowledge has to come into play. Yes. And that's yes. where I think, you know, people where no matter what product or service you're in, you've got to go in there and then deliver. I love that. That's really powerful stuff. And I, just on that point, because I'm visualising, you know, uh, uh, an advisor in front of their client, uh, I know one of your um, mantras is to hustle. Yeah. Right? But I think it's mi- misunderstood by a lot of people that don't know you very well um, because I have come across advisors who misinterpret a hustle as being aggressive. Yeah. Uh, or misinterpret a hustle as well, I'm just going to follow this textbook that I've learned in some training session, follow the process step by step, yeah. and I'm just going to go through the numbers and numbers and numbers and uh, come across as yeah. not genuine. You know what I mean by, like, yeah. I have met some real estate agents because I was in the market when uh, the market was booming, and I, I got the feeling, especially with the young real estate agents, is I'm just going to follow a process, and yeah. if I do, I'm going to get the sale. Yeah, and it was a bit presumptuous, and that's their that's their interpretation of what a hustle is. Yeah, not high, they're not. They're, and look, they're not highly intelligent to be able to if that if that's what they're doing. And it doesn't surprise me because Sam and I, I can say this to the industry that I come from. It's got a low barrier to entry to be a real estate agent. Let's be very clear: if yeah. you've got a heart rate. And you're vertical, you're in, right? <laughs> like, I mean, that's the, yeah, the, yeah. that's a fact. So it doesn't surprise me when you say that you're coming across, you know, these 
you know, young real estate agents that look like they've got no intention of caring, they're just going through, you know, the process. They haven't understood the term hustle. Let me tell you what hustle is and what hustle is not. And um, um, I might actually even, you know, take this podcast and actually share it with the agents because um, I think maybe some agents that I speak to haven't understood what I mean by the word hustle and I'll have to certainly clear it up. Number one, hustle is not doing things you hate. That's not a good strategy in life. Doing things you hate gets you feeling drained. Doing things you hate makes you hate your work. Doing things you hate means you don't skip to work. You actually delay going to work. So don't do things you hate. The second thing is hustle is not about grinding yourself to death even though you don't want to do this stuff. Hustling is in fact finding what you're good at and then doubling down on it. That's what hustle is. Hustle is making sure that if you think you are the best product in the marketplace, don't keep it a secret. Go out there and tell the people because you have an obligation to act. Because you're like in real estate, you're the pastor of your marketplace. You can protect a community of vendors from bad real estate people. So go out and hustle with the right intention if you think you're good. That what is that's what hustling hustling to me is having the right intention and then doubling down on what you're good at and what you love doing. That then feels effortless. And everyone wins in that equation because if you look at the stakeholders, there's you and there's a client. The client wins because you've got their best interests at heart. The client wins because you're the best at the job. You win because you've got a limited time on this planet. For some people, it's seven years. For other people, it's 57 years. For some people, it's 97 years. You are using your God-given abilities to better the people on this planet. That to me is what hustling is. But if someone's thinking that hustling is going out there, not caring, doing things you hate, driving yourself to illness, not sleeping well, with a view that one day you're going to make money and life's going to be good, I'm going to let you know that that is not my definition of hustling. And like, let me tell you, the people that have that definition of hustling, it's not a sustainable model. And I can tell you, Many of those people are, in fact, disappearing out of real estate as we speak. Love it. Yeah. So I think you really started this podcast by saying you've got to come from a place of service. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, I love that definition. And thank you for clarifying that. And I think that applies in all industries, not just uh, real estate. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's uh, really powerful stuff. Thank you, Tom. Now, I want to get a little bit personal with you. Yeah. If uh, that's okay, um, are you a spiritual person? I am. I'm a Christian. I'm not, you know, quotation marks, a born-again Christian, right? I was brought up a Christian of the Greek Orthodox, um, um, let's call it category. I was born Greek. If you're Greek, most people are of Greek Orthodox. And uh, today I would consider myself... Um, um, I live and act 
Sam, I don't have any proof that God exists. I don't have proof of it. It's the ultimate trust. Faith and religion is the ultimate trust. What you're doing is you're banking on something that you haven't seen. So for me, I'm not one of these Christians that have turned around and said there was this day at 4 o'clock where a sign happened and I saw Jesus. That hasn't happened for me. What's happened for me is this. I've gone through a rational process of analysis where I've said, as I'm staring out your windows, you've got some nice views of trees and I can see the skies and I can see the cloud and I come around and I can see a beautiful skyline. And I believe that things are too perfect for them to have come from nothing. So for me, something comes from something. So I've turned around and I've said to myself, I simply can't believe that it's come from nothing. The second thing is that I'm a better person when I act and behave as if God exists. So it's better for me on this time on this planet to think that way. So That's beautiful. Yeah. And this is not me, and I definitely do not think that my way is the only way, but whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're a Hindu, whether you're Muslim, whether you're a Christian, what you, you, whether you are a person that believes in a God, a higher being, I can really relate to those people more than to the total atheist. That's me. But yeah. I, I get on with. I get on with everyone, atheist, non-atheist. But I I relate better um, to the view that we're here for a period of time and that we came here on a specific day, and that was a miracle. Chances of being born... Sam, what do you think the chance... Do, do you know the answer to that? Have you, in your reading, of the chances of being born? No, I don't know. It's one in 400 trillion. So there is, if you Google it, one in 400 trillion. So if you think about it, it yeah. you're, you're a miracle. Like, you're a miracle to, to have come onto this planet. So straight away, if you're feeling unlucky... All you've got to do is say, hey, I have already won the lotto like big time. One in I'm born. Born. One in 400 trillion. Now, what if you're born in Australia and you're living in Australia and you're not in Syria or you're not in Ethiopia? You already have got this second lotto that you've won that you know, like so, 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 yeah. so to me, so to me, Sam, um, I think you come in, you're born, you leave on a specific date, and I have a view that um, um, the time that you have here is uh, comes to an end, and then um, there's another time. Does it, um, with that in mind, does it, um, does it irritate you or annoy you or sadden you if you see someone uh, that you think is brilliant but not really being grateful for the life that they have or not living up to their potential? Is that what drives you? 
to be a well, coach. There's two, so there's two there's, there's, there's two two questions there. It's to the person that's brilliant, and then the, the person that's ungrateful. And you could be, I suppose, you could be both brilliant and ungrateful, yes. right? Um, and you could be non brilliant and 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 ungrateful, or you can be uh, not brilliant and grateful. So there's various, you know, there. So what, look, all I'll say is that to me, when you're not grateful and you're brilliant. Um, what you're saying to yourself is this, it's me, it's no one else. I'm the one that made this, right? And that's arrogance, right? That's arrogance because I've got to tell you, if you're brilliant, you may have had a few things along the way that came that aren't you, i.e. you're born with an IQ, right? Like you're born with an IQ of 130 and not 70. And there's a group, there's a group, Sam, there's a group of people that have got an IQ of 70 and under. And as a society, we have a responsibility to contribute and look after these people. There's a group of people that are dealt bad cards when they're born, right? We we, so so when someone so someone's brilliant and they're ungrateful and they say, It's me, it's me, it's me, all I would say is, man, don't get attached to it. Because when you get punched in the face, and I don't mean that literally, yeah. when you get punched in the face and you get a phone call that your daughter at school has committed suicide, or when you get a phone call that you've been told that you've got to go into the doctor and he'd rather see you sooner rather than later, and you find out that you've got a you know brain tumor, or when you you, you when or, or or and I know this has happened when you you get on a plane. And that plane doesn't land at an airport, but that plane actually ends up colliding, or you know, uh, with a building, or falls into the ocean. Then you begin to realise that you're not as brilliant as what you thought. Mm. Perspective. Mm. That's um, very sobering thought. Yeah. But I'm going to really take that one four hundred trillion and share it with my with my kids. I, I really like that because yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it really makes you value your life and your time and your energy and to make sure that you need to use that. Uh, and you, yeah. like your, your book, A Higher Branch, is about, a, you know, um, take the metaphor of a tree. I, I, I can't help it but think to myself, if you're a human being, you're not a tree, you're not a dog. You actually, like a tree's a living organism, yes. right? So is a dog, so is a cat. If you're a human being, you could be listening to this podcast right now and you're not happy with the way things are going in your life. You've got good news. You can move. You're not a tree. You're not actually planted into the ground. You could get up and say, that's it. I'm changing, changing. my job, right? I'm, gonna, I'm, 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 I'm pissing off these people out of my life or... Um, I'm I'm just going to you know rewrite my agreement with reality. That's the great thing. If you're a human being, you know you're a decision away from changing your life. And yet, a lot of people resist change. Why is that? In your um, coaching, what have you come across as the biggest obstacle of resisting change? Yeah. One of the reasons is the consequences of not changing aren't painful enough. You know, so if you if if you've if you've got if you've got yeah. someone Sam like. You know, they're earning 140 grand a year. Life's not great, but the way that they see it is their mortgage gets covered. They can't they can't have a holiday in 
Hawaii, but, you know, they can squeeze in surface paradise, right? And um, uh, they can't drive, uh, you know, a, a Lamborghini, a Tesla, but their car gets them by. So what actually happens is they turn around and say, hey, this is not my ideal life, but I can live with this. And I'm not always happy, but it's, it's tolerable. I think, I think when you get into a comfort zone and the consequences aren't too bad, people, people resist change. Um, I think the other reason people resist change, and I know this, this could take us you know, a long time to decipher, but Sam... If you've got a group of people around you in your life, the last five people that are on a personal basis, you text each other. So they're close to you, right? You text all the time. If these five people are going to make it uncomfortable for you in your new direction of your life that you're taking, if they're going to sort of make you feel like you're abnormal by following a new path, that you're abnormal for wanting a future bigger than your current situation, that you're abnormal, that you want a future bigger than your past. And they're going to feel like if you go down that way, that's not who we know. You'll resist it because you'll want to be accepted. So the group of people you have around you may be the mooring lines, the limiting factors that stop you playing big in life. Very good advice, man. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, now, uh, you know, one of the frameworks for our higher branch is the eight areas of life, which is you know, love, family, work, friendship, learning, wealth and charity. Yeah. And so I just want to ask you, what is the, the biggest lessons, you know, one or more in, in each of them? So when it comes to love and marriage, uh, do you have any... Yeah. Uh, lessons that you've learned. What has been the biggest lessons? So I've been married. It's funny because I sent from Bali, not from Bali, where was I? From New Zealand last week. I sent my wife on Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? It was. So last Wednesday, I sent my wife flowers from New Zealand for our 27th year anniversary, right? So what's my learning? Don't make a bad year look like a bad life in marriage. Don't make a bad month look like a bad year in marriage. And I think what happens in marriages is, like I talked about other areas of life, Sam, you have seasons in it, high seasons and low seasons, and mornings and nights and rains and, you know, sunshine. So what you do is you don't make permanent decision on a temporary feeling, right? Um, That would be it. The other thing is I would say that you've got to choose, do I always want to be right or do I want to be happy? Because you might end up acting and behaving differently based on the answer to that question. Yeah, that's absolutely spot on because what people don't realise in a relationship that you, you can, you'll never be in a relationship where you're 100% right. Yeah. Even if you're 
in a relationship where you get your way 51% of the time, you should yeah. take the <laughs> yeah. put that in the wing column and move on, right? Yeah. Because there's no relationship you're ever going to be in where you're going to be get your way 100% of the time. So no, I, I love that uh, piece of advice. What about as a parent? Uh, what was your, has been your biggest lessons? You have two beautiful daughters. Girls are different. Like, you know, like girls, girls, yeah. it's been like I came from a, a family where I had one brother who's unfortunately, you know, and I was, was my best friend who unfortunately, as you know, Sam passed away um, about uh, nine months ago. It was nine months yesterday. We had the, the Greek culture has a c- ceremony, three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. So it was nine months, nine months yesterday. Um, so only I didn't have girls in my family. Right, so I've got three girls in my life now. You know that in the house we live in, it's my wife and and two daughters. Yes. So the first thing I'll say is when you talk about a parent, you know, for me it's also been the shift to understand that the way um, um, females think is not necessarily the way that you think. So there's that factor. The next thing is. I've learned that what you think they want and what they want could be two different things. And the other thing I've learned, it's hard. You know, I find it. I find it. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I find I find it hard. You know. Why do you think being a parent's harder than being a, you know, a, a lawyer or a doctor or a real estate agent? Because when you're a doctor and you're a lawyer and you're a real estate agent or any product or service, it's repeatable, it's predictable, and it's scalable. That's not the way it is with kids. There's no template. There's no blueprint. It's not repeatable, predictable, and scalable. It's a work in progress. I was going to say, so how do you navigate through that? As a parent, it's it's a it's a it's it's your your it's basically you're doing the course and you're the subject and you're the scientist along the way. Is that why a lot of people choose to spend more time at work and less time with their families, and they tend to feel guilty about it? But it subconsciously, you can't help feel that people gravitate to what they know and um, stay away or avoid you know, the areas of their life that are just a little bit too difficult. Because I know a lot of people, and I certainly fell into that trap when I was younger. Yeah. I found myself just working myself to the bone because that's what I knew. Yeah. I loved work. Yeah. But you'd take me home and I just didn't know how to be as a parent. Nobody ever taught you. Yeah. Yeah. So when, you know, it goes back to what I said earlier on. When you're focused on the stuff that you're good at and you love doing, it flows. Now... Um, raising children is stuff that has so many different variables. So you can't turn around and say, I've nailed this, I've worked out this process, this is what I do. So it doesn't surprise me that a lot of people, and I have been and still am sometimes, when I think to myself, I've got a situation that's going to really stretch me any day of the week, give me an auction or give me a speaking gig or give yeah. me a, you know, produce some content for my real estate gym members. I know that stuff. I know that I can produce it. It's easy. I like it. I'm not going to end up having a real estate agent sitting there negotiating me with it. They're going to say, thank you so much. 
but that's not what my daughters do. Yes. My daughters will say, but why, but why, but why? <laughs> <laughs> and the irony is, like you said, if your personal life is broken, yeah. it's very hard to perform. Like you said, if you've got a, uh, a 10 o'clock meeting with a client but a yeah. 2 o'clock meeting with your lawyer to draw up divorce papers, yeah. you just can't get into the right headspace or, or heart space to be able to deliver. Correct, correct. So I, ironically, you need to focus just as relentlessly on yeah. your personal life, yeah. you know, with your relationship with your partner and your kids as you do on your work life because that boosts your work life. Yeah. You have a happy uh, personal life. You're just going to sh- show up and outperform. It's the same person that shows up, you know. It's the same person that shows up, you know. And that's why I say to people, you know, work harder on yourself than the job. You are the job. You're the product. Success is an inside job. Work harder on yourself than the job. Stop worrying about, you know, trying to work out the latest new business technique and start working on yourself, improve you know, the quality of your life on the inside and you'll find that you will produce a far more useful behaviour for business on the outside. So that leads beautifully into my next question. How do you outperform your competition in a tough market? How do you dominate in your industry? Is there a – do you need natural talent uh, do you need to be an extrovert? Do you need to be the most knowledgeable? Do you, do you need to be the most fit? What What is your advice in this tough market now where it's uncertain and people are just in the wrong headspace, right? Yeah. Uh, you can tell because that's all they talk about, Yeah. right? How do you blow your competition out of the water in this market? How do you dominate? Well, the good news is if you have patience and you stay in the game, you're actually going to have less competition anyway because the marketplace is sorting that out itself. Okay. So what you're going to see is people exit. Yep. That's not a bad thing for you. Less competitors in the market means that's better for you from a demand and supply equation. Yes. So, so, so firstly is, you know, hang in there, be patient. The second thing is you most likely in a challenging marketplace – have to work longer. You may have so, – so there are periods of time. So the way I look at it, Sam, is you, you work in a business for 20 years, right? There are some years that you'll turn around and say, okay, so this is a period where I've got to get in and work in my business a lot harder. Yeah, and I know, And yeah. I know that you'll be able to relate to it because about a month ago when we got together, you sort of can relate that there are operating times where you've got to be immersed into your business, yep. right? So I would say now's that time, particularly if you're related, property, mortgages, l- legal, now's the time where you go in and say, hey, 2019, 2020 is a time that I'm actually going to work a little bit harder in my business. The next thing I would say is, and I know this is not me being a cop-out, this is me sort of saying that there are certain times where you've got to say, hey, I may have to factor in that I might not have growth this 12-month period. So what that means is that you look at your expenses and you start reducing ego-based expenses, right? Um, the next thing is you work harder than more, than ever on your personal psychology because you don't want to participate in the fear. 
You don't want to be participating in the bad news. What you've got to do is to be participating in the opportunity, participating in the solution, you know. And so be careful who you surround yourself with. 100%. 100%. I've got to tell you, the last person I surround myself in a time of treatment is with another patient. I simply will not go into any support group with another seven or eight people that are going through treatment where we're going to sit there and try and make ourselves feel better about it. I will go off and spend my time with people that are well, people that have recovered, people that are doing great stuff. I want to participate on the solution. So be very mindful on where you're participating. If you've got dickheads that you're hanging out with, Sack them. I tell Madeline, I tell Madeline, which you know Madeline, our daughters went to school together. I tell Madeline, if you hang around with four dickheads, you become the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. And uh, that, that is yeah, super critical. I mean, you are who, who you hang out with. Um, there was something else I, you made me think of uh, there, and that is... Um, I don't think it was directly relevant, but a lot of people are obsessed with making a quick buck. Yeah. And, uh, well, that's right, you were talking about working harder, and I, I love that because I'm sick of people telling me to work smarter, right? Um, uh, I, I believe that business is built, you know, brick by brick, day by day. There's no other way, right? Yeah. And there is no such thing as overnight success um in fact i hated the book by tim ferris even though i loved tim ferris uh, as an author a speaker and as a person through his podcast i hated his book for the four-hour work week yeah because i thought what are you trying to teach us and that's uh, i think what precipitated the western world's obsession which led to the financial crisis because everyone wanted to make money with yeah. less effort yeah and so what do you say to those people and i think without being ageist, but a lot of young people are obsessed with that. They think, well, you know, how can I make more money and work less? So they've... so. Have you ever seen anyone do that? <laughs> I, I haven't. I haven't, Sam. So here's, here's my response to that. Whether it's Tim Ferriss or another group of, of people... Now, now, let's be very clear. I, I mean, I know and I've listened to... Um, a podcast on how Tim Ferriss came up with the title of his book, and that is he pretty much did a lot of market research on um, uh, uh, Google using analytics to find out what would be a hot seller, and that's attractive to okay. people, right? Yep. For our work week, for our Something body, for nothing. Correct. Everyone, Sam. Everyone loves that game where they're going to do very little to um, end up having what they want. So, I believe it's not just Tim Ferriss. I think that there is a group of people that have bullshitted to a bunch of young people on the planet and said to them, good news, you don't have to work hard. You've just got to work smart. And what's happened is these vulnerable people have listened to that advice. And what they keep saying is, hey, I know how to take the shortcut. What I say to those people is, listen, Get in line and stay in line. There is no shortcut. You know, it happens a lot. Like sometimes you'll go to a wedding and or some function and you'll see a queue for people queuing up for the food and it'll be like a, you know, 10-minute yeah. line and then you think, oh, I'll outsmart them. I'm sure that there's another, you know, uh, food buffet serving table on the other side and you can probably go there. I'm sure it's organised that way. So you get out of your line 
and you go looking around and then you come back 10 minutes later realizing there is no other line and what happens <laughs> and what happens Sam is you queue up again and you get to the end of the line so what i'm saying is get in line stay in line don't leave your line and understand that what you've got to do is things today that you probably won't get rewarded for today. You'll get rewarded for them tomorrow. But the good news is that there's going to be other people that are going to be in the line that aren't going to wait. So you do have to play the long game. And I think if you're a young person and you're looking at playing the short game, I've got bad news for you because there's no evidence at all to suggest that the short game is a template for success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just reminded me of um, a particular book I uh, recently been listening to. I, on that point, I know you. Uh, uh, the first time I met you was about fifteen years ago, and you're obsessed with reading. Yeah. Uh, so you're an avid learner. What's uh, What's your favorite book at the moment, or have you listened or heard or read uh, a book recently that had a big impact on you that everyone should read? Uh, I listen. I listen to a lot of books, so I I buy I buy some books. No, I don't mean business books either. Yeah, okay. I buy I buy some books at a bookstore at an airport. I'm at airports yeah. a lot, so I'll, I'll use the bookstores at the airport. Sometimes I'll buy a Kindle book, even though I don't have a Kindle. It goes to my iPad, and a lot of other times, more than half the times, I buy books on Audible. Yes. Right, so I've got a monthly subscription. They give you one or two I'm books. I'm obsessed with Audible. That's yeah. What, yeah, that's what I do. So just you, listen. Yeah, you just listen. I call it commute college. So whenever I'm commuting by plane, by car, I'm always plugged in listening. Correct. Yeah. So that's what I do. Yeah. Look, one I like, I've read it and listened to the audio, audio version of it, is um, 12 Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson. Um. You have a lot in common with uh, Jordan. Peterson. I like him. I like him. You really uh, love his message of self-accountability and that you've been saying that for years, haven't you? Yeah, I like him. He's a far more intelligent version of, of me and and um, far more uh, successful in terms of his leverage and um, the amount of videos that get viewed online. And um, uh, He's a professor in psychology from uh, a university in Canada that... Um, actually didn't become well-known for that. He became well-known because he's taken a stance against political correctness, but one of the things that's come out of it is that he's used the platform to get his message out that pretty much, you know, become self-reliant. Stop hoping that someone's going to save you. You've got to save yourself. I like that. I like some of the... I like, I like his rules that he has. I like the fact he's a spiritual person as well, you know, and he acts and behaves as if God exists. I like the fact that um, he, uh, he 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 attacks things in a very rational, simplistic way. Like, for instance, some of the rules are, you know, fix problems when they're small. That's that's a good rule in life, Sam. Like, that's a good it's rule. The first time I've heard that. Actually, it's that's a good, very rule. powerful. Yeah, I fix love problem that. when they're yeah. small. Like, seriously, stage one cancer is better than stage four. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, 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 some drops coming through your roof is better than the ceiling caving down because you didn't go off and fix the tiles. I mean, that is constructive, useful advice in personal and in business for anyone. You know. Um, so that's probably the the book, but I believe you know, like 
Robin Sharma once used the term, the hand that picks up a book is never the same hand that puts it back down. I do believe that what you read and what you listen to will shape the direction of your life. You know, I do believe and the people we hang out with obviously correct yeah. well they're they're coaches they're they they're the most powerful coaches because you don't even realize that they're coaching you you pretty much mirror their behavior so you know before before you even hire a coach just have a good look have a good look at who do you lend your brain to on a day-to-day basis you know oh, that's nice very nice tom thank you very much thank this you. has been really epic uh and I don't often get the uh, a chance to spend an hour and a half with you, so you've been really generous with your time. And there's been some amazing um, uh, pieces of wisdom there, insights. Uh, even in the last five minutes, you've blown me away with a couple of things I haven't heard before. And that last one by Jordan Peterson is very powerful. One book that I've uh, been listening to recently, it had a huge impact. And I think you may have... Oh, you did mention it, It Can't Hurt Me by... Um, yeah, David Goggins. Uh, David Goggins, yeah, yeah. that was uh, really powerful as well. And I, I can't help but uh, feel that there, there's a lot of parallels between Jordan Peterson and people like Goggins and no, no doubt others, and that is, you know, uh, don't shy away from sacrifice, run towards the hard Correct. stuff, uh, you know, take responsibility. And uh, I love that one about work on uh, problems whilst they're small. <laughs> like, yeah. Sam, both those guys, and, you know, it's, today's been a great day to do a podcast. It's nothing better than having some positive news happen in your life, you know, and you always associate, yeah. you know, like I don't know if you're like me and whenever something shit or something good happens, I do sort of anchor it to what happened in that day, where I was, maybe a song I heard, you know, and this is good, you know, I'll remember this is the day i got some really good results come through um, regarding my health and, you know, I, I shared um, an hour and a half with you, you know, talking about stuff that helps myself. The best way you can actually teach some, uh, uh, the best way you can actually learn something is reinforcing by talking about it to a, a larger group of people and hopefully a lot of people get this. But those two guys you mentioned, Sam, life is suffering. I fundamentally, like, whether Christians believe it, Buddhists believe it, I haven't gone off and studied every religion, life is suffering. So if you turn around and say, fundamentally, we're going to bury people we love. Fundamentally, we are fighting nature. We Think about it. We're, we're, as we get older, we're coming closer to the day that we die, that yeah. life, life is suffering. So when you factor that in and you stop getting smashed in the face because everything's not perfect every day and you start factoring in, hey, it's not easy – you become a little bit more resilient, like Goggins, right? And um, I would say to um, you know, to people that are listening to this podcast that I have found it a lot better in my life to factor in that there will be dark days, there will be hard days. Banks do it. They write off things. Everyone does it. I, I know that I spend two and a half grand a year on parking tickets because of the nature of the work I do on a Saturday. I don't get devastated when I look at a $120 or $12 fine because it's factored in. There's two and a half grand a year. I know I'm going to get hit for those fines because I will actually park illegally to get my job done. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, what you just said is... uh is an analogy. I know a lot of things you say have multiple meanings at so many levels, but uh, yeah, don't don't focus on the small stuff. Look at the big picture and zoom out 
And Correct. Can I ask you, who was the first person you thought of or talked to after you got that um, beautiful result today? Do you remember? My wife. Your wife. Yeah, my wife. So it was done by... Uh, it was done... It came, it came by text mm. and I just looked at it and I was in the cafe at Haberfield, a grasshopper, and I saw it and, um, you know, um, she was the first... Uh, she was the first person. That's beautiful. Thank you very much, Tom. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.